Welcome back everyone. My name is Dr. Carol Wada. I am a pediatric and adult allergy, immunology, lifestyle medicine doc, and systemic Sjogren's patient. We are so excited to bring guests on that are really helping empower us all through their work. And I am so excited and honored to welcome Dr. Lindsay Harper today. Dr. Harper is the founder and CEO of Rosie. It is a first of its kind platform that was formed out of frustration when she couldn't find modern and accessible resources to help her patients. The resource that connects the 84 million women in the U.S. with sexual problems, with hope, community, and research-backed solutions to improve their lives. Dr. Harper is a board-certified obstetric gynecology physician who is based in the Dallas area, and she was in practice for seven years, now working as a hospitalist. She is an associate professor of OBGYN for Texas A&M, a fellow of the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and a fellow of the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health. She has been named Forbes Top 53 Women Disrupting Healthcare, People Newspapers 20 Under 40, and a top innovator in North Texas for 2020. And a DBJ top woman in tech. So thank you so much, Dr. Harper, for taking time out of your busy schedule and, and joining us on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you for that intro. And I'm more than happy to be here to talk about all of my favorite things with you. So thanks so much for having me. Yeah, maybe you can share a little bit more about some of those frustrations or things that were coming up as you were seeing patients that really put you in this place of saying, oh, I have to do something. Yeah, it was definitely an accumulation of things over the years, right? What happened was that when I was in private practice, moving and grooving, delivering babies, doing hysterectomy, managing contraception, screening for cervical cancer, breast cancer, STIs, this is what we call in OBGYN the butter, right? Like yeah. the things that everyone does all day long. But something that was happening in my practice as I was like getting closer, I think with my patients, we had two or three babies together, maybe a loss. You just start to develop these really close relationships. And my patients were starting to open up, even though I was doing a terrible job of talking to them about their sexual health, because I just wasn't trained to really ask more questions outside of, are you sexually active? Like really asinine, unimportant things like how many partners have you? I wasn't asking them anything of substance, but they started to share with me that they were having trouble with low desire. They were having trouble with finished or absent orgasm, trouble with arousal. There were just a lot of, oh my gosh, I have no idea what to do. I have no idea who to talk to this. And so then they would entrust me with this information. And I was like, I don't know what to do either. I had no training. I spent two weeks as a medical student, not even as a resident, as a medical student in an erectile dysfunction clinic. But when we compare that to my training for men's or for women's sexual health, it was really zero. I knew a, a little bit about sexual pain when it comes to endometriosis and vaginismus. But when it came to desire, orgasm, arousal, literally nothing. 
So that kind of raised my eyebrow. I was like, okay, is this yeah. my problem? Like I had a baby in residency. So I'm like, maybe I missed this rotation, right? I don't know. <laughs> or maybe my hospital, like my residency program just sucks at this. And maybe everyone else got trained and I didn't. That wasn't the case. And then I was like, maybe my patient population is special for some reason. We're in Dallas. And for some reason we are all having sexual problems. No, what I found out is that no one's getting trained and that 43% of women have a sexual health problem. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's almost half of women. That's probably an underestimate, but that's what the data says. So that's what I say. Then we look over here. Okay, is sexuality something we just don't talk about? No, we talk about it a lot. And when it comes to men's health, we'll just treat patients with their patients with sexual dysfunction, particularly men all day, every day. Primary care doctors are taught how to deal with erectile dysfunction, other sexual problems for men. So that really even emphasize the need, the urgency to do something now, right? Because this is a huge problem for women. None of us are getting trained and we are doing stuff. We can see that it's possible over here on the men's sexual health side. So how can we create at least some semblance of parity for women? Because the negative effects of the lack of conversation about this are that women feel like they're the only ones suffering. They're like, oh, if my doctor doesn't even know about it, like, I guess it's not that big of a deal. I'm just extra broken, just like it probably is with a lot of autoimmune stuff. And yeah. then they think that there is no hope for them because nobody knows what to do or how to do it. And sometimes even worse, they're sold things by these lifestyle brands, not to name, I can name names. I don't have any shame in naming names, but where <laughs> these things don't really work. So they're yeah. like buying like random $400 Yoni eggs and expecting to become a like sexual goddess. And that's just not what the problem was ever to begin with. That yeah. really compounds the hopelessness and isolation and shame that these people feel. So I got real mad pretty fast. I'm yeah. like, oh God, this is a huge problem. And I can't believe that this was in 2019. I cannot believe the world is where we are today and nothing has been done. So anyway, made the very like crazy and important and pivotal decision to share this with my partners, whom I love and I'm still very close with, with my patients, and then eventually to leave private practice and work on Rosie full time so that we could really try to change this for medicine as we know it, change it for women as we know it, and be part of this bigger movement to really move things forward for women and our sexual health. As we talked just a little bit before we hit record, Thinking back, like one of the first symptoms that I now attribute to my Sjogren's, I brought up with my obstetrician gynecologist because she was the doc that I saw for my yearly exam and had a good rapport with her. But even still, even though that was a very trusting relationship, she went on to deliver two of my babies, but it still was that door handle conversation of it took to the end of that visit for me to really feel comfortable enough to bring that information. And even still, yeah. I could see from what you've shared now, maybe why her response was what it was, which wasn't at the time, super helpful. <laughs> sure. And unfortunately yeah. that's the experience that most of us have. Okay. So I spend a lot of time educating physicians about women's sexual health. And the title of my grand rounds is women's sexual health. It's not that complicated <laughs> because what we all think and what we were taught is 
Oh my gosh. If you ask a woman about sexual problems, it's like opening Pandora's box, right? You're going to get the relationship problems and the past sexual trauma and the whatever. And you're just going to be in the room with the patient for 30 minutes. And it doesn't have to be that way. When we talk to our patients about their mental health, which we've gotten pretty comfortable screening. Yeah. OBGYNs probably write more SSRIs than anybody. We don't think about it in that way. We're not like, oh, here's, we're gonna come up with the childhood stuff and blah, blah, blah. That's not how we think about it. It's because we were trained to ask and we were mm -hmm. trained to think about it in a framework. And if this, then this, if this, then this. The same is true for sexual health, right? There is obviously a psychological component. There is a contextual and educational component and there is absolutely a medical component component that we must own. Mm -hmm. So all we have to do is number one, ask the question, but there's some barriers to that training and time, but hopefully the game plan can be to demystify it where we can understand, okay, what is our piece of this puzzle? Because we do have a piece in the puzzle. And then who are the people in our community to which we can refer to help these patients with these really important problems, right? So if I have a patient who's depressed and who's failed an SSRI, I'm going to pass her on to a specialist. The same can be true for women's sexual health problems. Once we have that context, that framework, then we have the permission and we are armed to ask the questions and take the steps in the directions for her health. But unfortunately, when we're not taught any of those things, there's a lot of emotion and like chatter tied up in these conversations that's completely unnecessary but it doesn't take long to unwind that so i think if we can continue having conversations like this get the message out there that in fact it's not that complicated and we can do it like we do we can do hard things and this isn't that hard we can really change that experience for you for people just like you and for physicians on the other side of that conversation as well part of the conversation too is also just bringing awareness that we as women deserve that attention, right? That we deserve a full and robust life. And that can include good sexual health as well. hundred percent. This really gets to the core of like women's health generally, right? Because this is a whole podcast in and of itself. There's medicine was built by men. There's just not any way to argue with that. When you are a person, you view something through your context and through your lens, right? And so when that's the one side of the coin, how medicine was built and the other side of the coin, which is how women are socialized, which is to say menstrual pain is normal, which is to say being up all night and having terrible hot flashes during menopause should be tolerated, which is to say all of these things, peeing on yourself, that's part of getting older, You're losing your sexual function and sex drive, that's normal. None of these things are normal. <laughs> and if we like flipped the script and pretended these were men, there was an amazing New York Times article about this week about menopause that sort of puts it in this light. So if all this stuff were happening to men, like this would have been solved a long time ago. Not to say that men are bad or evil, it's just not their context. So now that yeah. we are in positions yeah. of influence and power and have the ability to change these things for ourselves, we have to do it. I think it goes back to all really of healthcare, but particularly in women's health issues and obviously in underserved, underrepresented populations as well. Yeah, there's a lot of work to be done, but it's exciting to be in the time where it's happening for sure. Absolutely agree. It's fitting. So this will probably air in several weeks, but we're recording this on National Women Physicians 
day, which is just an exciting day that we was really only established in the last, I don't know, five or seven years, but celebrating Elizabeth Blackwell, the first American female physician in the U.S. So I just thought of that as we were chatting That's and amazing. thinking about girl power and That's right. how it's far like things so have exciting. come. Yeah, things yeah. have come a long way because there have been so many pioneers and those stories are so inspiring because it really does take a lot to step out there in a way. And I can't imagine being the first woman physician right. in the United, like I just yeah. can't even imagine that. We just have to keep repeating those stories to ourselves because sometimes things are like difficult and we can't imagine how it could ever be done, but the world does change. So it's a great thing for sure. Yeah. I always have a hard time. So my grandma-in-law who since has passed on, she, she went to medical school twice, first in Japan and then in the U S when she moved back to the U S after world war II. So this is like the early fifties and through kind of some of those harder points during like medical school, residency, motherhood, whatever. I'm always like Dr. Ayako. She (laughs) She was like making names, not even five (laughs) feet tall and just, that's amazing. um, I have, my mother-in-law had six children. So when I have a parenting day, I'm like, oh, Carol did it. So can I, you know what I mean? We do have to have those touch points because we need all the support we can get for sure. Yeah. So I'm familiar with Rosie since you launched and we had talked about that and I had mentioned, I still have my Rosie pen floating around my purse. I love that. But can you share a little bit about the resources that I'm sure you're going to do a much better job describing it than I will, but what is all on the Rosie app? Yeah. So whenever I was first thinking about what's a great way to make a difference, hopefully in this area. And what I learned whenever I was getting my, I went on to get a lot more specialized sexual medicine training, (laughs) just FYI. What I learned is that so much of what women need is actually to be re-educated and behavioral change resources. That's not to say that's all what all of what we need, because it's not, but it's a big part of it. It would be mm-hmm. like talking to someone about losing weight and skipping the part about moving your body and making healthy food choices, right? There are certain pieces that need to be in place for us to Four make pillars. Exactly. And so really that's what Rosie represents is an evidence-based place where women can access information that has been shown to improve sexual function and other behavioral health tools as well. When a woman downloads Rosie, we have an onboarding questionnaire that takes into account really all aspects of everything about her sexuality. One of my favorite sex therapists says that sexuality is as unique as our fingerprint. That is because of there's so much context, right? There's how did we grow up thinking about sex? What have been our past sexual experiences? What's our current hormonal status? What's the going on in our relationships, right? So this idea of Pandora's box goes from being intimidating to a beautiful experience that honors each of us as individuals, even down to religious context, which I love this aspect of things. If I ever go back to being a student, I'm going to get a PhD in religion and sexuality because it's just so fascinating. But we've created resources for Orthodox Jewish women, for Muslim women, for conservative Christian women. And it's never Rosie's intention, nor do I think it should be anyone's, to change a person, but really to help her become more sex positive, more fulfilled in her current context. And so those are the types of resources that we want to try to offer. We have a ton of education, how women experience pleasure, like switching up your sex routine. Yeah, all kinds of personalized information based on how you answer those first 30 questions 
questions and the onboarding. And we, we really try to tackle specific sexual health goals. So if you're trying to work on low desire or sexual communication, or a lot of our users just want to spice things up, then we can't have like whole tracks to accomplish really lots of different goals. And we try to take into account different life stages as well. This is something that I think is fun to think about with sexuality is it's never like, oh, you run into a sexual problem and then you solve it, but it really stays with us throughout our whole life from the time we're learning about our body parts when we're little kids mm -hmm. all the way until we die. Hopefully that's my goal. It's negotiating how we, the bumps in the road as we go. So maybe that's infertility, maybe that's trauma, maybe that's pregnancy and postpartum, maybe it's breast cancer, maybe it's your partner has a sexual challenge or issue. So there's always going to be something that we want to learn about or could use support for. And we have resources for all of those life stages as well. We have a library of erotica, which is an evidence-based way to improve sexual desire. And actually we have some new research coming out on erotica, which it, it just time and time again, proves itself over and over. I, it's fascinating. And this, I would, this is in part two, what I find so cool about what you're doing is that it's this interface in addition to providing this empowering education, but also leading back to the body of research that we have to only like totally. grow this. Absolutely. That's so fundamental to who we are as a company. We started doing research within the first six months that we launched with like very little funding. We've been able to just crank it out. Conference after conference, we're presenting something. And the really cool thing that we're working on right now is getting our whole database IRB approved so that academic researchers can yeah. send us an email and say, Hey, I'm interested in infertility and sexual function or menopause and sexual function or aging parents and sexual function. Like literally we have so many different ways of looking at this stuff that we can then share the de-identified data so that we can contribute back to the greater body of knowledge. And that's so important because I think at this point, and for probably the last couple of years, we've had the largest data set in the field. It's just because no yeah. one's ever done anything. It's not because they're like <laughs> extra amazing. It's because nobody ever did it. So I think that's such a powerful like moment for us where we can be like, hey, we are not in this just for us. We are in this for for the greater change that we want to be a part of. And so I'm super pumped about that. We're hoping that approval will come through in the next few weeks. We can help to give back. And that way we can like make new discoveries and understand things wow. better. There's just so much to uncover that we don't yet know, because once again, we've just not asked the questions. I forgot more things though. We also have a community on the app where people can talk to one another anonymously. And then one of my favorite things, which are group coaching and workshops. So it's like group interactive moments where women on the platform come together anonymously, share their struggles and get like expert coaching or expert workshops led by sex therapists and things like starting these conversations that we all wanna have. And then also individual coaching is available as well. So I hope that I named them all, but I think that I did. So thanks for letting me. Oh my that. gosh. Yes. And folks can download it from like the app stores, right? That's right. Yeah. They we're available it. in both app stores and there are like, you don't have to pay to download the app. There are paid tiers of subscription based on how much support you want or need, but you can check it out completely for free. Do you have kind of like physician specific mm -hmm. mind? Yeah. 
There's a special sign up on our website for mm -hmm. physicians and healthcare providers more generally, anybody okay. who has an NPI and they can come to our website, sign up, they get completely free access to the platform so that they can vet it for their patients. And then we'll also mail them cards and pens like you have <laughs> to share if they feel like it's appropriate for recommendation. Amazing. And you have a big platform you're speaking at coming up, you were saying at the American College of obstetricians and gynecologists. Yes. Yeah. I'm so excited to get to share all about sexual health. We spoke, I spoke with one of my favorite sex therapists there last year and this year they're bringing us back for more. Last year it was awesome. The room was like standing room only, and it just warmed my heart so much to see so much support for women's sexual health. The goal always, like we've already talked about is to demystify, to rally the troops and to really get at least one person in every practice really pumped about this so that they can lead the way for their partners and the patients in the practice. And then we can start to see more and more, just like we talked about, more research being published, more mm -hmm. conversations being had. My goal really is for women's sexual health to be included on all women's health panels, right? So when we're talking about women's health, there's so many important pieces of that, but sexual health is absolutely one of them and needs to be represented every single time. And we know that meaningful human connection with with other humans that may or may not include a sexual component, right? But that is part of what keeps us healthy and whole and Absolutely. The World Health Organization recognizes it as, as such. So I think we have an obligation to ourselves as individuals and to society at large to really show and present how these conversations can be had in a respectful, evidence-based, scientific way that doesn't bring into it all of the embarrassment and emotions that so many of us were taught. I think that should be definitely part of physician and really all healthcare professional training. I am snickering a little bit because there was a conversation I stumbled upon on Instagram this week about just using proper terminology to talk about our anatomy yeah. and that even something as simple as the vulva and the vagina are different structures. And I have three kiddos. My older two are girls and they keep trying to call that whole region their booty. And I'm like, no, good job, mama, <laughs> this part. And it's important. If we think about safety, we think about just demystifying things and just giving yeah. folks even as simple as the right names to describe and talk about right. what's going on. And why are we, the fact that we even have the conversation is like insane, right? That I have to go around <laughs> telling doctors to call a vagina, like what they're calling a vagina is a vulva. I'm like, you're a doctor. This is a vulva. That's a scientific, that's a lot know, of dirty words. Name, we have right? ears, we have fingers. Yes. We have vulvas. Yes. And so it's just so crazy. <laughs> I may have seen the same tweet that you did. That was Lori Mintz, like retweeted something else about yeah. how a man like was, he was like, What's, a vulva is like calling a penis yeah. a scrotum. That's the thing. We would not do that. And the idea that we would do that is like so absurd. It's like a laughable meme. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. so, but we do but that we do. every single day, yep. every single day, even All doctors. Day. And yeah, oh my gosh, there's so much to be done. It is important to, for safety, but it's also important just because, just because. it is, it's yeah. a fact. So yeah. it's, man, it's so much, it's so much. So I have been starting to ask all of our guests, if you had one closing thought that 
helps people feel more empowered and working on more confident in their everyday lives related to the work you're doing, what would you share with them? Oh, that's such a good one. I think that there's usually two things that I like to try to communicate. The first is that if you're having a sexual problem, you are absolutely positively not alone. And it doesn't mean anything about you as a human, as a woman, as a partner. It doesn't mean anything about your partnership, right? We sometimes take sexual problems and make them mean way more than they actually mean. And what could be going on could absolutely be a medical issue that you need medical treatment or intervention for. That knowledge in and of itself, I think is super empowering because I think sometimes, especially with issues that we are not sure how to talk about or to whom to talk about it with, we get really stuck. So when you know that you're not alone and that you do deserve help, then that can sometimes unstick us. The best place to start with anything in this realm is really education because so many of us have missed out on that or so many of us have had education that wasn't helpful to us. I love resources like Dr. Mintz who tweeted this and I spoke with at ACOG last year, wrote a book called Becoming Cliterate. So good, like I'm a gynecologist, I learned so much from that stinking book. Also, there's another one called Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski, wow. so good. And then obviously Rosie, right? I mean, wow. I made it for this reason. Yeah. So I think the first place is education because we become empowered through education, just like I know that you do all the time, right? If we don't know what's going on, if we don't have names for things, if we don't have resources for things, we're going to continue to be lost. But when we educate ourselves, it empowers us to start thinking differently and then subsequently to start acting differently and taking more and more agency for the mm -hmm. things that happen for us to us in the future. So those are really, I want to share that people are not alone in this struggle. And then the next place to go from there is educating. So you can figure out what's the next step for you. Amazing. The other book I'll throw out that I just read recently by a colleague of ours, she's urologist, Dr. Kelly Kasperson's You're Not yes. Broken. I have yeah. it. I mean, I literally have it right over here. I should definitely yeah. start adding that to the list. Yeah. Sure. She's great. And she's on social too. So great. Yeah. Awesome. I love Kelly. Amazing. Thank you. We so appreciate your time, your expertise, all the work you're doing. I can't wait to see, just see what happens next. Thank you so much for having me and for allowing us to have this important conversation on your important platform and really appreciate the support and your time. So thanks for Thank having you. me. If you like what you're hearing so far and you think others would benefit from hearing it too, it would be amazing if you would take a few minutes to rate and review the Crunchy Allergist podcast. Ratings and reviews are the best way to make podcasts discoverable. I would love it if you'd give me your honest opinion, and of course, a five-star review would be great. If you click the subscribe button, you will automatically receive weekly episodes without needing to do anything else. And if you feel called to share with your friends or family, I would be so grateful. If you'd like to learn more about how we can work together, head over to drkarawada.com.